Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. You're listening to the Engaging Missions Radio Show, Episode 31, with James Harvey and David Kaufman. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Radio Show. If you care about missions, this is the place for you. Whether you're actively involved in ministry and missions, are considering missions, or serve God in the marketplace with a heart for God's kingdom, you're in the right place. Join us each week for inspiration, encouragement, resources, and so much more as we delight in the things that God is doing all around the world. All right, let's get started. I'm really excited to have two guests with us today, James Harvey and David Kaufman. James Harvey, it seems, has been just about everywhere. His parents were missionaries, so he traveled quite a bit as a child, and he, his passport must have a lot of stamps on it. He's also been involved with several churches and ministry organizations, and he's now the training pastor for City Church Network, a church planting multiplication ministry in central Tennessee. David Kaufman is the lead pastor for City Church Network. David planted City Church in Woodbine three years ago with a vision to birth a church planting movement in Nashville, Tennessee that would successfully spread the gospel among all refugee and immigrant communities in the city. Okay, James and David, I've given just a little introduction. Now, why don't you take a minute and tell us about yourselves and the ministry? We'd like to get to know you personally. All right. Uh, so a little bit about me, Brian. My name's, uh, as you said, David Kaufman. Uh, I've been married for uh, over 16 years to my wife, Rebecca. I have four kids. My oldest is William. I then have Gracie, Belle, and Noah. So it's a, a joy to be here in, uh, in this uh, central Tennessee area. I've, been, I've lived here for about six years now, and uh, God has really given me a heart uh, for reaching out to all the different people groups uh, here in this, in this area. Uh, Brian, this is James, and um, I've been working here in Nashville for about six years with um, Unreached People groups. Um, as you shared, I just have, have traveled a lot, um, and while I was overseas is where I really developed a love for, for uh, people groups, but then I got to Nashville and was actually asked to work with a specific unengaged people group here in the city. And that's what led to David and I meeting and us ending up working together on staff uh, to try to uh, combine our gifts and combine our uh, vision uh, to really uh, reach Nashville and beyond. Uh, both David and I specifically have a heart for training and empowering leader, uh, leaders and healthy teams that are reaching other cities around the world. And uh, I've been married for about six years. I have a three-year-old son, mm. uh, Aiden. And um, we try to uh, really divide up our week between family time and uh, time out training leaders or being in the harvest prayer walking. 
Okay, that's that's. Uh, thank you both for sharing that. One question I did want to ask because there's such a wide range of experience when we talk about full time ministry. Can you share with us a little tiny bit about what a day in the life is like for you? Yeah. So um, both James and I are very committed to um, uh, being with our family as well as being out into the community. So we both uh, spend our mornings usually with our families uh, in prayer and in worship and just connecting at the hearts of our children and as well as our wives. Um, Then that will include for me, I usually meet with about two or three leaders a day uh, for encouragement, what we call iron on iron. Uh, We're asking what, what is God, what are we seeing God doing? What are we going to do in the next 10 days? Um, and, and just asking them four simple questions. Uh, then beyond that, looking at our different harvest fields, where we got ministry already going and how are we going to prayer walk? And, and so it might include a prayer walk, might include a training leaders, and then it might include a, a house church gathering in the evening um, in a community, in an apartment complex or in a neighborhood where, where we've got an existing house church gathering. So that could be a typical day for me. Yeah, one of the things that we uh, got from a friend of ours named Fred, who's doing the same thing we're doing here in Nashville and Austin, Texas, is a calendar tool where you take your uh, week and you break it into a grid of blocks. And so you have Monday through Sunday, and then you break those days into blocks of time, whether that's morning, afternoon, evening, or two to three hour blocks in each day. And you try to fill in those blocks with specific things that you're wanting to do. So a typical day for me would be Monday. Uh, I block out as the Sabbath day for me. I turn my phone off and spend time just with family. Tuesday is more of an apostolic day. Our apostle team tries to meet and talk about Great Commission progress in the city. And uh, we focus that day on um, those sort of tasks Wednesdays through Fridays are just like what David described for me. They're real flexible. We try to meet with leaders or go prayer walking or put in some office time. Saturdays, we try to be out in the field with our house church leaders, encouraging them, praying with them, and uh, knocking on doors in the community to meet people and share the gospel. And then Sunday, a church meets in my home in the mornings, and then afternoon is either um, out visiting other folks or... uh, starting to get ready for the next week. All right, thanks. Now that we know each of you a little bit, could you each share with us maybe a scripture or a motivational quote that's been really meaningful to you over the years, and then share with us how that scripture or quote has really shaped your behavior? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, uh, it says, Seek the welfare of the city, for I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And really, God, really, three years ago when I planted City Church of Woodbine, really called me to a city to live and to die in the city, to seek the shalom of Nashville, the, the peace and the wholeness of Nashville, to make all things new in Nashville. And so really, my heart is for, for Nashville to look more like the city of God and to see uh, people's lives change, transform, the whole the whole city transform with the gospel. So, so that's been one verse for me that's really called me out and called me to a city, to a city reaching project. And so that's just a little uh, scripture that's really kind of um, gripped my heart over those last couple of years. Okay. For me, it's been a quote I came across when I was 16 in the Philippines. I became a fan of John Maxwell and all his books. And just about every book, he said the same thing, that leadership is influence. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the single most influential quote 
in my whole life just because I realized that even though I was reading all these books on what it means to be a leader, the bottom line is uh, the difference between a leader and a follower is that leaders are intentionally trying to influence others uh, towards a vision or towards uh, a specific set of tasks. And so that's been enormously helpful for me, whether I've been a worship pastor or a youth pastor or teaching at a Bible college or serving on staff with David or uh, now serving in this kind of city-reaching initiative um, here in the U.S., it's been that it's all, it's up to me um, to really uh, reach out to people and try to build relationships with them and, and help them based on their felt needs and not wait for people to call me. Okay, that's good. Now, as we get into this, we, we know each of you just a little tiny bit as far as some background information, a, a quote and a scripture that's been really meaningful to you. Um, We'd, we'd like to move now to a story of a challenge, a time when there was a difficulty, because we know that not everybody's life is always easy and happy. You know, there's kind of what I call the Facebook effect, where you look around and it seems like everybody's life is better than yours. And one of the things we find is that we connect a lot with the story of people's challenges, not only because it helps us realize that we're all people, we're all in this together, we're all serving the same God, but also because a lot of times those provide insights for us, for places that we have challenges in our lives. So as we get started, could, uh, could one of you share a story of a challenge in your life, whether it was a time that you had a significant challenge and maybe you needed a breakthrough, or maybe a time when you were praying for somebody else because they needed that breakthrough? Um, six years ago, um, I was on staff for the mission agency and, um, I moved my family and, uh, up here, I was living in Huntsville, Alabama, moved to Nashville, Tennessee. And, um, initially when I thought I was moving up here, I thought I was moving up here to take a, a, a lead pastor role of a church of about 400 to 500 people. And, um, and when I got here, the, the, the church that I thought I was joining merged with a smaller church. And that church's lead pastor became the lead pastor of, of the merger church. So I was here. I was moved my family. I thought I was going to be, you know, kind of this new exciting position, and and realized that basically I was kind of the the the, the backup player, you know, the 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 the, um, the guy on deck, if you will, the guy that was waiting in the balance. And so, really, a season of why did I do this? This is ridiculous. Um, my, I could just move back to Alabama. Um, just feeling like a total just failure. I, I talked to seasoned pastors that I really respect, and they just told me this is a, a season of testing, a season of suffering, and uh, really a season of, of preparation for something bigger. And that was really the, the word from the Lord was that this was a season of preparation that God was going to open more doors for me in the future, but I needed to walk this, this season out, uh, humbly and, and God honoring and, and, and by God's grace to this day, I have an, an incredible relationship with that lead pastor. Uh, that church sent me out, uh, two and a half years later to go start this church. Um, the elders have blessed me tremendously. So just being able to walk through that season of disappointment and discouragement really taught me a lot about the, the faithfulness of God. And as well as just, uh, God's, um, you know, he's always doing something. He's always working through us in us and through us for his glory. So it's just a little, uh, story about kind of a challenge I faced, uh, in life. Okay. And you mentioned that God showed you a number of things and brought you through this. Could you share with us maybe just one of the, of the, the things that he revealed to you as part of this process? Yeah, absolutely. That, 
um, as a leader and specifically more of a visionary leader, I'm always wanting to go on to the next thing, um, uh, starting new ministries, new, new, new churches, new areas. And God was telling me is it's a season of testing. It was a season of, of waiting on him and that he had to make this happen. You know, so often I want to make things happen. I want to be the one to, 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 to call the shots. And I, and I, and the Lord was just telling me, I, I know what I'm doing. I'm preparing you and you have this is a season of waiting upon me and just really wrestling with that and, and, and really having to come to a reality that that it, God is sovereign, that God is in control and that God will make a way for me. Because um, early on in the process, when I was at this church, I was I was the, uh, uh, an assistant pastor there. I, I went to the church and said, I want you guys. I would love for your blessing to go ahead and send me out as a church planter. And they said to wait. I said, it's not time yet. And that just crushed me because I, I just felt like, man, I need to get out of here and go do something big for God's kingdom. And so just having to really say, okay, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to honor the process. I'm going to honor these, these leaders, these godly men. I'm going to trust them. And and that was just so difficult, but yet God said to wait. And so a year after that, I went back to them and they said, absolutely. 100%. We support you now to go plant this church. Hmm. So it was a it was a, a wonderful uh, you know testimony looking back, but in the midst of it, it was just felt like I was walking in quicksand um, in terms of my my current ministry uh, because I I had such just in the past before that I had some amazing opportunities to travel the world and plant help start new churches and I thought what am I doing here This is a complete waste of my time and so God just really taught me that um, to wait on Him and that He would set me up. Uh, and he would open doors for me. Wow, that is that is very powerful, and I think it speaks uh, very clearly to, especially to people of my generation. Um, I'm I'm not quite sure what your age is, but I'm in my early 40s, and it's I see people, uh, friends, and uh, other contacts that were always chomping at the bit, you know, just waiting to move on and to have that patience to sit there and, and to go, okay, God, I'm going to wait. That That's very powerful. So I, I'm so glad that you shared that. We're going to go ahead and move though to the other end of the spectrum, because just like we always have, we all have challenges. We also have those times of revelation, times when maybe God parts the sky and reveals something to us, or maybe a time when we've been walking through something. And as we look back, we start to see what God has revealed in our lives. Just kind of like what happened with uh, with your experience, where you looked back and saw God's faithfulness. Can one of you take us to a time in your journey when that happened? Maybe an expansion on what you've already shared, or maybe another story, and then share with us what you did once God revealed that to start taking what He showed you and and go forward with it. Well, for the sake of uh, the context of this conversation, that aha moment was uh, when I met with David. And uh, I, I had been on staff at several churches uh, here in Nashville while being an uh, intern with the North American Mission Board to reach unreached people groups. And believe it or not, it was really hard for me uh, to connect with local churches that were unengaged from the local mission field. And so I kind of staff hopped churches and never really found a good fit for me. So by the time that David and I reconnected, we, we had connected around working with this unreached people group I'd started working with six years ago. 
uh, around a soccer ministry where we were hoping to meet some families uh, in the community. And that's how David and I met, but we had not worked on staff together or worked that much in the harvest field together. But later, after I had tried several different uh, staff positions and never felt a good fit, I had put in my resume to become lead pastor of a Southern Baptist church here in Nashville because I thought, I, I just haven't found anybody whose vision I can work with, so I'm just going to have to be the lead pastor so I can set the vision. And God had brought David uh, back into my life. Uh, he bought me a delicious lunch <laughs> at China Pan Buffet, and we're sitting there, and I'm telling him all my woes about feeling like a failure in ministry, and David tells me about this brand new church plant, and his vision was to reach the whole city of Nashville through a church planting movement, but his real vision was not that. His real vision was to finish the Great Commission task globally, and for the first time, I thought, I can get behind this, and so uh, that's when I became a uh, a staff member with David, and we began to serve together on a regular basis. But it's one thing to read David Garrison's book, Church Planting <laughs> Movements, or Steve Addison's book, Movements That Change the World. It's another thing to get into the harvest fields and meet Hindus and Muslims and Buddhists and Sikhs and ancestor worshipers and deal with the fact that we're knocking on the same doors that Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons are knocking on the same doors all the time and begin to try to start a movement. So David sent me to Singapore um, to learn about church planting movements. And while I was there, um, I had the probably the best aha moment ever because functionally the church that David and I were were uh, serving was more of a traditional church. It was all about, uh, it was out in the community starting ESL classes or Bible studies, but church was something all of those folks came to, uh, to hear a sermon and have a, all worship together as one gathering every week. And when I was in Singapore, we realized if we were going to see indigenous-led church planting movements in Nashville, we were going to need to decentralize our own church into churches that meet in homes, uh, churches that have healthy DNA, not led by David or me, uh, that were free to multiply uh, in different areas of the city and among different ethno-linguistic communities. And so that uh, launched us into a complete and total 180-degree turn from planting one church with more of a church growth model to a decentralized house church network where each church, what we're currently trying to do is build into the DNA of each church, uh, fourth generation DNA, where each church would go out, follow the Luke 10 paradigm of uh, finding ha homes of peace, would see families, households coming to Christ from different um, ethno-linguistic groups and worldview backgrounds, being baptized, identifying indigenous leaders, training them how to follow the Luke 10 paradigm, them going out and having their own uh, children and, and grandchildren in the faith to the fourth generation. Uh, and so that's what we are currently working on. Most of our time locally here in Nashville is taking what we learned uh, that we needed to be actively involved ourselves in simple reproducing church through new generations of believers and baptisms uh, and instead of talking about that and training others how to do that based on uh, our experience or something we read in a book, getting all of our disciples in our traditional church 
out in the fields planting churches in their homes and walking out a lifestyle of Luke 10, prayer walking and person of peace searches. And so that's definitely been that, that, that single moment where we realized we've got to do this so that we can model it for others uh, was was when everything changed for us here in Nashville. And now I have a church in my home. I'm trying to get to fourth generation. Uh, David has a church that meets in his home. He's trying to get to fourth generation. We have about nine church gatherings all up and down Nolensville Pike, also known as International Corridor in South Nashville. And the goal, and trust me, each church is different. Each disciple and leader team is different. So it's not as cut, clear, and clean as it might seem. Hmm. But the goal is that each would have the same bottom line vision and strategy to reach the whole city, go to the ends of the earth, and multiply through generations of new believers. That That's so exciting. Um, one of the things that struck me as you were talking was the idea of the fourth generation. Um, and part of the reason that struck me is because it's so similar to the way I'm trying to raise my children. When I'm raising my kids, I'm always thinking, am I behaving in a way that, and am I teaching the things that I want my great-grandchildren to know? Not that I'm raising my great-grandchildren, but I'm always trying to set the stage so that they will pass on what I'm giving them. And I think that's kind of similar to what you guys are doing, always thinking about that, the next generation and the next one. Uh, Yours, I think, is a little bit even more exciting, though, because you get to see this multiplication so fast. I might have to, I might never see the fourth generation myself, right? In, in this life. Um, but you guys get to see it perhaps in a couple of years or something. So that that's really exciting. The other thing that kind of struck me is I actually live just a couple of miles off of Nolensville Pike. So I know that you guys are probably active in the area where I live as well. So that's, that's exciting to me to know that that's around me. Um, I, I do want to move on, though. Um, we, we know that not everybody is called to vocational ministry. Our audience is primarily made up of people who live in the U.S. and who are operating in the marketplace and, quite frankly, are in what you might consider the typical church experience in North America. They care about missions, but they don't necessarily feel called to that specifically. What would you say to somebody who's, who is called to live and operate in the marketplace, but they're starting to wonder if what they do really matters? Yeah, I would just tell them that um, all of life is is for God's glory. Uh, our, our our marketplace, our, our our kingdom vocation. That that when we when we're in the marketplace, when we're we're living uh, for Christ, there it really is an expression. It's an it's a it's a demonstration of God's glory and God's power and God's love in the marketplace. So when they're when they're working forty, fifty, sixty hours a week, there um, they are expressing God's uh, handiwork, expressing God's character, His mission, His purpose in them and through them in their marketplace reality. So um, it's something that we deal with a lot in our movement because James and I, as well as one other, are the only really full-time workers in our movement. So we have, you know, about 100, 120 others that are working with us that have marketplace jobs. And we tell them, you know, work as unto the Lord in your marketplace job. Do that well, and that will be a a bridge builder, a gospeling opportunity, a a kingdom enterprise, if you will, to see the kingdom come and through your job. And, and even uh, last night I was talking to some young professionals and I was just telling them, 
the calling of your life is, is to make Christ known in the marketplace. The calling of your life is to be salt and light, to be an expression of Jesus that, that, that those that, that are, that are disgruntled, those that are angry, those that are bitter, those that are, uh, workers that are not believers would say, there's something unique and different about you in the context of, of this marketplace. So I would just tell them, that, that, that to, to, to purpose themselves to every day to go to work for the glory of Jesus and to look for ways in which God's working all around them. And that also they have influence and they have opportunities that James and I will never have because of the marketplace, because of their uh, opportunities, because they're there with these people. It is an incredible mission field in the marketplace. And so having their eyes spiritualized to see that and, uh, and, and the vision to see that is is, is very uh, strategic uh, in this context. Is it okay if I deviate just a tiny bit from the questions I sent you? Because something else popped up while we were talking about this. Absolutely. So one of the things I'm, I'm wondering or pondering is that perhaps somebody's in the marketplace, but they're not quite sure how to recognize where God's moving around them. They, they hear this and it sounds good, but how do they start putting that into action? What's maybe just one thing they could do to start them down that path? I would say, Brian, it all starts with prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit is the bottom line, because no matter what denomination you're from or whether you've been to Bible college or been on a short-term mission trip or don't have any of that experience, what's common to all of us is the love of the Father, the Lordship of Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Emmanuel in each of us, and the Holy Spirit is the counselor. Uh, He's our friend. And so anyone, no matter where they are, no matter what job they have, because David and I have had all kinds of jobs. I mean, for me to work with uh, the Unreached People Group I've been focusing on, my first job was throwing newspapers. Uh, So when I got to Nashville, I was committed uh, at a seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. I was committed to do missions, but the only way I was able to feed my family uh, was to uh, wake up at uh, midnight, seven nights a week, drive to Cool Springs, mall and pick up 400 Tennesseans, and then I had a 60-mile newspaper route that took from 1 a.m. to about 6.37 a.m. home, take a quick nap, and then try to go meet uh, neighbors who were from this uh, people group. And so uh, we, we've, uh, David and I have both had uh, m- not just marketplace jobs, but mm-hmm. multiple staff positions in different Christian mm-hmm. organizations at the same time. Uh, the other thing I would say too, Brian, is for some reason, David and I have really seen this a lot, but a lot of Americans, especially those who have been overseas, whenever they come back to American soil, their brain, something in their brain turns off ab- about missions. And what they do overseas, when they talk about the mission field, they literally mean international and therefore not domestic. Right. And Acts 1-8 is so clear, <laughs> you will be my witnesses in start starting in Jerusalem. And so because we're disciples and followers of Christ, uh, it doesn't matter whether we are on staff with a mission agency or on staff with a church or we're working in an office or we're uh, we're driving a delivery truck. What matters is that we have a relationship with the Lord and the Father's heart is that uh, none should perish, but all should come to a saving knowledge. And then uh, from 1 Timothy 2.4, and then in Romans 10, how can they believe without someone telling them? And so we're just convinced from Scripture, from our experience, both locally and globally, um, every single follower of Christ has a great commission to make disciples of everyone that's near them. 
And what we do is what many folks do. When we find anybody who's willing to start, um, we do what's called oikos mapping. Oikos would be your your exist starting with your existing relationships where you are. And there's something, I don't remember where it is, but it's called frangelism. It's one of those church planting nerd acronyms. And fran stands for where what, what your listing would be. Friends, relationships, acquaintances, and neighbors. And we've, ha- we've trained folks in the marketplace to make a list. Just write down a list of absolutely every name you can list. And then circle those not in the kingdom. And then pray. Pray for their salvation. But beyond that, ask the Holy Spirit to give you faith, obedience, and boldness to begin sharing your story and Bible stories and the gospel of Jesus' resurrection from the dead with everyone on that list. Wow, that's powerful. Um, I would like to go ahead and uh, kind of get back on script if that's okay. Um, I'm sure that there are some people listening who are already supporting a missionary or somebody full-time involved in ministry. They're supporting financially and in prayer, but maybe want to do more. If they wanted to level up their game, what's one thing they could do to really encourage or support someone? Uh, well, Brian, you, you and I know that it's very different, uh, a email or a check to a phone call or, or a face-to-face visit. That's not always possible internationally, but we've learned that just in the same way that missionary agencies are encouraging churches in America now to, quote-unquote, adopt a people group and engage them with the gospel, it's I would recommend the same thing with missionaries. And so... Ephesians 1.5, uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase is, long, long ago, God decided to adopt us into his spiritual family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. And so it's the same thing with folks that are supporting missionaries. Um, it's very easy to donate online or set up recurring tax-deductible uh, gifts to support, and that is so essential but the greatest need of a missionary is ongoing relationship and verbal encouragement, verbal affirmation. And whenever that's possible, um, David and I do this with the missionaries that we financially support. Uh, It's very easy to say we're praying for you, but the next step could be, I want to pray with you right now over the phone, or I want to buy you a cup of coffee. I want to hear what you're struggling with. I want to pray with you. Um, and there's lots of tools to be able to do that, whether that's uh, Skype or FaceTime or Google Hangouts or, if possible, face-to-face. And so I would just say um, moving past financial support and praying apart from the person to pray with them and start setting a, a date and time on your calendar, whether that's weekly or monthly, to call that missionary, to, to actively encourage them, hear from them directly what their struggles are, and pray with them, uh, whether it's over the phone or online, or if you're too busy, even recording a voice memo prayer and then emailing it to them. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, the, uh, the voice memo prayer is something that kind of speaks to me. I have several friends who are around the world and scheduling is difficult for that kind of thing, but I definitely want to level up my game as well. Uh, with that, we are going to go ahead and transition to the speed round. This is where I get to ask you a series of questions and you come back with your amazing answers. Does that sound like a plan? Sounds glorious. So what's one thing you wish you would have known before you started out? That just by reading the books and studying the, the gurus of church planning movements, that 
it just would all magically happen of 4G movements all over Nashville and the world. That it's it's hard work. <laughs> it's uh, it's labor intensive, and the spiritual warfare is real. What's the best advice you've ever received? Family before ministry. I didn't realize how important that was. And three years ago, I almost died with viral meningitis. Uh, I had three jobs, was working 80 plus hours a week, had a six month old at home. So I definitely wasn't sleeping. And um, I didn't realize how important it was to lock in times on my weekly calendar to have my phone off and be face to face uh, with my wife and son. Wow. Can you share one of your personal habits that you strongly believe contributes to the success you've seen? Um, each week, uh, both James and I take Mondays off for Sabbath day where we don't talk to each other. We don't have any meetings scheduled. Our phones are off. And, and that's, that's been life changing and sustainable in terms of our, uh, cause our, our pace throughout the rest of the week is pretty, pretty intense. So we, we, uh, try to really get into that rhythm of Monday Sabbath. Okay. And do you have an internet resource that you use and could share with our listeners? We use Google Hangouts all the time. Uh, David and I both have Skype, um, but what we found is you can go to google.com slash hangouts, and it's like Skype, but a free account with Google Hangouts will allow you to do video conferencing with up to 10 different people. It's free, and it's connected directly to Google Drive, which we use all the time, uh, like a Dropbox account. Uh, Google Drive will allow you to create documents, spreadsheets, and a drawing tool and allow you to screen share for free. And so if you're doing training with folks, we recently did an iron on iron with a network of leaders in Australia and New Zealand. And uh, nine of those leaders and one of us here in Nashville all got into a Google Hangouts um, video conference and we were able to Uh, Each user can screen share with all the others and show them what they're wanting them to do or show them a case study or a PDF that they've put together. And uh, it's just probably been one of the best free reproducible communication tools that we use, uh, we actively use on a consistent basis. Okay. And um, what's one book that you would recommend for our listeners? Well, going back to the Sabbath day, there's a book called The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan. He's a pastor in Canada, and uh, that has been the single most influential book for me in terms of spiritual formation, just because he talks about why uh, it's even though we're on this side of the resurrection, um, that a Sabbath is still necessary, uh, especially for uh, leaders who are uh, trying to mobilize others. So I would just highly recommend The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan. For me, Brian, this is David, mm-hmm. a book that radically changed my life about 10 years ago. It's called Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. Okay, I think it's, I think it's influenced a lot of young missionaries and really, really uh, was central to the idea of missions exist because worship doesn't. And so really just the idea of God's call to the nations, God's heart for the nations. And so that would be a book that influenced me significantly about 10 years ago for the nations. Okay. 
Now we're going to go ahead and transition back to a little bit deeper. We want to focus a little bit more on your perspective and some ministry advice. Um, we, we have just a few minutes left, uh, but I don't want to rush you, so I'll probably just trim out a couple of the questions that I had sent you before. Uh, but I, I do want to get a little bit of this. What's one thing that you might tell somebody who's living in, the, in North America, and they're starting to realize that their neighbors, their coworkers, the people that they go to the grocery store are hailing from countries that just a few years ago we might have considered missionary territory, someplace that you send a missionary, not someplace that people come and immigrate from or, you know, they find work. What would, what's one thing you might tell them? Um, I would tell them to, to, to think of themselves as a learner and just go meet as many peop- many of their neighbors as possible, position themselves as, as a learner and ask a lot of questions. Where are you from? One of the acronyms that we use is called FIRE. And just ask them about their family. You know, how many where they uh, where are they from? You know, what are their interests? What is their religious background? And then what are their experiences? And so, really, just using that acronym of Fire uh, really just helps kind of bridge the gap. And I would just tell them uh, also just begin daily praying for their fam- for their neighbors. You know, seeing this as a prayer strategy of praying by name and, and really documenting in, in some sort of notebook or or, uh, or, or their their iPhone or whatever, just of mm-hmm. where their neighbors live, what's their address, what are their prayer concerns, um, and just begin kind of cultivating kind of a neighborhood, uh, um, you know, a prayer map, if you will. And so that's something that I would encourage them to think through. And then, and then just um, begin to enlist others praying with them as well as any neighbors that they know that are believers to begin co-laboring together and praying uh, Luke 10 uh, kind of prayers, looking for persons of peace, houses of peace, people that will open their homes up in that neighborhood for the gospel to go forward. Brian, there's two extremes of evangelism uh, in the U.S. that we've seen in terms of pol- polar opposite. And one okay. is friendship evangelism, which is friendship without the evangelism, where <laughs> you build a relationship with uh, neighbors from other countries or religious backgrounds, and you never talk about your faith um, for fear of being rejected or offending them. The opposite end of the spectrum is meeting strangers, and the first thing out of your mouth is if you were to stand before St. Peter in the pearly gates, right? you know, and he says, why would you let me into, your, into my heaven? What would you say? And so we're, it, we're, we're talking about a kingdom balance here, and what we're finding is most American Christians will take a spiritual gift analysis evangelist won't be in the top three, and they'll use that as an excuse not to engage people at all. And uh, that's not uh, healthy. And what we're realizing is the greatest icebreaker on the planet for just about any disciple just starting to get involved um, in reaching folks that are not from there, that are outside of their comfort zone, is to, is to do what David said, and that's uh, start begin praying for their salvation as soon as possible, but break the ice, meet them, find out their name, find out their story, um, and then just begin to view them as a friend. At the same time, asking God very specifically, every time you pray for them, Lord, give me faith to believe that you're going to use me to reach them, obedience that you've called me to make disciples of these folks, and boldness to proclaim the gospel, because the greatest news they could hear is the gospel about Jesus. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, for those listening, I would like to mention that my, my prayer for us 
as listeners is that we would take what James and David have been sharing and would put it into action. It's so easy to, to live in theory and to know, oh yeah, I know about that. I know about that and never do it. And I know that's true in my own life. Um, I suspect it's true in other lives. So my encouragement to us would be to take what they're sharing, look around the neighborhoods, look around the workplaces and start doing this, start forming these relationships with people and be intentional with that. That that would be my encouragement for us. Now, James and David, we are almost done and we're just about at the end of, of the time that we had set up. Uh, are you okay if I ask just one more question? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. What's Will you share with us, and I think maybe one from each of you, one last piece of advice and then the best way for us to get in touch with you? Uh, I would say the best piece of advice is to... Um, always remember that every day that it's a gift from God and every day God has something new planned for us. And so enjoy and the enjoyment of God every day and that God, it's an adventure with God. And that's something I learned, you know, about 10 or 12 years ago and really try to live that out. And, and, uh, and really I look back over the last 10 or 12 years and just amazed at all God's done in my life. And so just that, that, that simple reality that, that every day is a gift and to enjoy it to the fullest. That means through our relationships, our work, our family, um, and, and looking for ways in which God's uh, at working and join him in that. So that would be something that I've, um, you know, that, that really re- resonates with me. For me, uh, Brian, it would be uh, that most uh, American Christians are feeling like they, are, they may not be where they're supposed to be. And because of that, they feel like, well, I can't do anything right now, uh, so I've got to wait uh, to make disciples until I'm in a better place, or I know more, or I'm there's less sin in my life, or whatever the um, excuse is. And what I'm learning is uh, is what I would say to folks that feel that way is that uh, God has you exactly where you are right now for a reason. He is completely and totally sovereign in control of the universe and your life. And God can use you starting today uh, to begin to make an eternal difference uh, right where you are in your neighborhood and in your workplace um, and where you recreate. It's just taking a leap of faith, being willing to fail forward, and to be willing to, to realize this is disciple-making is a process, um, and we're all learning this together. So that's what I would just share um, in conclusion. Okay. And then if somebody wanted to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Well, we have a, the best way to connect with us would just be our, our blog. Our website is citychurchmovement.com. And our email addresses are there on the staff page. Um, and, uh, and that would probably be the best way to get in touch with us. We're also on Facebook. You can uh, search David Kaufman, Nashville, and find David, you can search James Harvey Nashville on Facebook and find us. Okay. And for, for those listening, um, these will all be linked up in the show notes, the, the Facebook pages and the, uh, the website. And the show notes will be at engagingmissions.com slash citychurch. Uh, that's probably the easiest way to find that. Now, David and James, thank you both so much for being with us. We really appreciate your time and your generosity. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. 
That's the end of the time that we had with James Harvey and David Kaufman of City Church. I'm really thankful that we were able to get both of them on the line, and I certainly hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'd like to remind you, as they reminded us, that all of life is for God's glory. So let's live our lives that way. That was such a meaningful thing for me when they shared that. If you're interested in checking out any of the resources that they mentioned, those will all be linked up in the show notes, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash citychurch or slash 31, as in episode 31. And as always, if you'd like to leave a comment at the show notes, you're certainly welcome to do that. I'd love to hear from you. Maybe a quote that they shared that was really meaningful to you, a question that you have, a comment, or just some general feedback, that'd be great. Or if you have specific feedback, maybe something that you don't want to publish publicly, you can certainly send that to feedback at engagingmissions.com. Whether you've been here for the longest time or if this is your first time with us, we're really thankful that you're here. Thank you for stopping by and listening, even if you've stopped by just this one time. It's really, it really means a lot to me to know that you took the time out to listen to this. If you are interested in hearing more, more stories from missionaries, more connections with missionaries, please stop by iTunes and subscribe. You can do that by visiting engagingmissions.com slash iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show and you haven't yet left a rating and review, it really means a lot if you do that. Not only does that help me understand whether or not I'm meeting your needs, but it also helps raise visibility for the show with other people as they visit iTunes. And if you've never done that, there's a quick video at engagingmissions.com slash iTunes that shows you exactly what you need to know to be able to re- leave a rating and review. It'd really be great if you did that. Finally, if you've not subscribed to the email newsletter, you might be missing out because when I send those out, I also send out some other little insights, little tidbits that I picked up as we were going through the interview, and you might be interested in that stuff. If you go to engagingmissions.com newsletter, you can subscribe to that to make sure that you don't miss any of that. And again, thanks so much for being here. This has been the Engaging Missions Radio Show. Thanks so much for listening. May God richly bless you. We'll see you next week.